Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Uh, Well, good morning. Good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. This mic will come on eventually. there we go. Um, let me, uh, my name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. Let me pray for us before we begin our sermon in Galatians 5. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks that you have spoken to us through your word. That we are not left to wonder how to live and who you are. That everything we need to believe and how to live is in your scriptures. So that's why we open them this week, trusting you will speak by your spirit. So speak by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were free to do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? Where would you go? Uh, If I was to answer that question, and I will, it would involve Wrigley Field. (laughs) So we got one, one, Meg, yeah, you're with me. Uh, I went to my first Cub game for the uh, six years. Uh, I, last time I was there was 2016. And I just, I don't, listen, if you're having trouble, like, believing in God, here's what I would invite you to do. Go to Wrigley Field, get a hot dog, put everything you're supposed to put on it, uh, tomatoes, not ketchup, every, all of it, and then just sit in Wrigley Field on a Saturday night, perfect weather, and it's like, the Lord is good. Uh, it, maybe for some of you, that's, that's just too high of a bar. Like, really, that's an amazing place. I can't go that high of a, an expectation. you got to lower it a little bit. For me, lately, uh, because I've got four kids, uh, and then there's me and Misty, I, I would love to just have the freedom to have a meal where all six of us eat the same thing, and no one complains. Of six people in my family, only five of us like french fries. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know how that happens. One of us, and I won't say who that is because I don't want that child to be shamed in this church in, in unhealthy ways, but like we can't even eat french fries as a meal without someone raising an objection to the meal. I would love to just be free to eat a meal and everyone love it in my family. If you were free to do whatever you could do, what would you do? We've been in the book of Galatians for several weeks, and this morning we come to what a lot of people consider is the most important statement in all of the book, verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. It's a book about freedom, and it's why we've called this series Live Free. And as Americans, we're in anytime we hear the word freedom. Freedom is American. But it's worth asking, when we, when we hear the word freedom, do we think the same things that Paul thought when he wrote this word? Do we believe a type of freedom that is closer to the scriptures or closer to our American culture? Or maybe more importantly, when we answer the question, if, if we were free to do whatever we want, what would that be? Do we answer that question more as an American Or as a disciple in the way of Jesus. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to start with a warning Paul issues in this text about how not to pursue freedom. So I said, verse 1, 
this is probably the, the most important statement in the whole book. Paul says, we have been set free in Christ for freedom. But that raises a question, a question we haven't spent much time on in the series, which is, okay, if, if what we've been saying in the series is true, and that is, God does not relate to you based on your spiritual performance. He does not save you based on your spiritual performance, but on grace. Does that therefore mean you and I can do whatever we want to do? Because God will forgive me and let me into heaven anyway. Is that what that means? Is that freedom? And Paul speaks to that down in verse 13 when he says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul there constricts. Freedom is not an opportunity for the flesh. It's not an opportunity for me to then go and do whatever I want to do. But that creates a challenge, at least for us. That I mentioned in the first sermon on the series, if I was to define what freedom is in our United States 2022 context, a statement around when I say freedom, what most people think about, it's this. The free life is the construction of a world of our own to our own taste to follow our own desires. Our vision of freedom is much like what Paul says is an opportunity for the flesh. Freedom means I get to do what I want to do with my life. I get to live my life how I want to live my life. And if you're, you're in the room and you're, at least you're a Christian and you're thinking, well, wait, but I'm a Christian, I don't believe that. There's just two problems with that. First, you and I are baptized into that view every day. That view of the world, that the free life is you getting to do what you want to do, is everywhere. It's even in Diet Coke commercials. There was a Diet Coke commercial a couple years ago, and the, the ad campaign was called Because I Can. Like, what does that have to do with Diet Coke? The answer is nothing. But they know you and I, when, when we hear the phrase, because I can, it's like, that's right, I can and I will, right? That's, that just taps into something. We are, we are free. Our world is saturated with this type of view of freedom. Or let me, let me press into a little bit of a, a saucier example. That Mark Sayers, a, a pastor and a Moody for, uh, an author for Moody Press, says the only thing the political left and the political right agree on today is this view of freedom. Freedom is, I get to do what I want to do, and no one gets to limit that. So let's apply that to the three most prominent things our culture is talking about in this moment. First, Pride Month. Our culture's assumption is, my sexuality is whatever I want to do with it. Everyone else must not just tolerate it, they must celebrate it, they must agree with it. And no one can infringe on how I want to use my body and its autonomy. Example two, guns. People on the right say, no one gets to limit my vision of what kind of weapons I want to own or not own. I get total freedom. No one gets to restrict my freedom in any way, shape, or form. Number three, Roe v. Wade. My bodily autonomy is my own. And even though in this case there is actually a human life with its own questions of rights and autonomy at play. None of that matters because I get to do what I want to do with my own freedom and body. 
now that I've equally offended everyone, what, what I'm trying to say, it's not a political statement, it's just that vision of freedom is being spoken every day on our political airwaves. Don't you dare try to restrict what I want to do. That We live in that vision of freedom. Or th- think of it like this. When I uh, <clears throat> was between my senior year of high school and freshman year of college, I worked at Pizza Hut for a couple months. I was just trying to make as much money as I could before I went to college. And, uh, and when I got back from a few months of being in college and pulled my Pizza Hut uniform out of my closet, it smelled awful. Here's the thing. I was smelling that every day at work. That uniform is what I was living in. But I had no idea because once you're there a few, a few days, it just becomes a part of the environment. You, you just smell it. And then when I got out of that environment and I came back in and smelled the uniform, I have not eaten Pizza Hut in 20 years. And if you bring me pizza, I will not eat it. See, we, we are so inculcated into that view. Freedom is I get what I want. I get to create the world I want. Even if you're a disciple of Jesus who might have some bit of tension, I guarantee you there are parts of your life where when someone tries to restrict your freedom, you get angry and say no. But the second reason why as Christians we can't just so dismiss this is there is actual research to suggest This is the way many evangelical Christians view freedom. A Christian Smith, in a couple different of his works, says the American evangelical view of freedom is what's called autonomous individualism. It's what I've described to you. I get to live my life how I want to live my life. And in one of his books, he said one of the central beliefs of American Christians is this. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Now, I want to be very clear. I want everyone in this room to be happy, and I want everyone in this room to feel good about themselves. However, as Jesus said, if you make that the central goal of your life, if you try to make your life about finding your life, Jesus says you lose it. But if you lose your life to him, you actually find it. You find joy and happiness you find the good life. So, freedom is not, I get what I want to do. That's not how to pursue freedom. So what is the free life? If, if we need help deconstructing our vision of freedom and reconstructing it back into the way of Jesus, what does Paul say the free life is? And he says, he says three things. He actually says a lot more than that, but we only have time for three. The first is that the free life is a life of hope. I love what he says in verse 5 when he says, Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We as Christians, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul's doing a couple of things there. One is he's leaning into the role of the Spirit in our life. It's through the Spirit we live a life of hope. And, And what does that mean? Well, Paul a couple sermons ago, uh, Kevin mentioned this, that what the, the primary or one of the primary things the Spirit does for us is this, Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul's saying the Spirit enables you and I to, to pray, Father. 
Just think about what a revolutionary concept that is if we actually believe it. We pray to God, not as a distant deity who can get us, but as a father. And I love the way Dallas Willard uh, depicts this in his book, Hearing God. He says, there is all the difference between the world believing this is our father's world and having confidence based in experience that the father's face is turned toward us and shining on us, whether in the dark of the nights or the brightness of the day. The spirit gives us the experience and the confidence That God's heart towards us is one of love because we no longer relate to God through our own spiritual performance, but through the finished work of Christ. I mean, how free would you and I be if every prayer we ever prayed, we didn't just say, "Uh, Father, thank you. We 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 said it with conviction and described the God of the universe as Father. How free would we be? But Paul says more than that. He doesn't just say, through the spirits, um, we, we live in hope. He talks about waiting for the hope of righteousness. What's that? What's the hope of righteousness we wait for? Well, righteousness means just, just right standing before God. It means, it means basically when you and I die and stand before God, Christians will hear, because of the finished work of Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. We all, we all wait with hope for that day. We don't, we don't think about that day with fear. We don't think about that day in terror. What will God say? What will he do? No, it, it's finished with Jesus. So we wait for that day with hope. You and I, there's, there's someone on Twitter I follow, and I love this. Every day he tweets, Christians, we are one day closer to meeting the Father. That's a hopeful life. One day closer to meeting the Father. That's what Paul is saying the free life is a life of hope. But secondly, and this is sort of a a counter, a negative element of the free life, the free life refuses to devour another person. This is interesting to me. Paul's talking about freedom, but then he ends this passage on freedom in verse 15 by saying, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The image there he gives is literally of like an animal eating another animal. And we had some debate this week in the, in the preaching team meeting of, um, there's, a, there's a, a Twitter handle called Nature is Metal, which shows animals attacking other animals. Now, I want to be clear, most of the time the other animals get away, so it's not like this brutal thing. But, but we debated, should, should we throw up a video from that Twitter feed of, for example, a boa constrictor like trying to consume a deer? Which I watched this week. It was intense. The deer got away. I just want to be clear. He's safe. <laughs> and some of us were like, the Bible is true. Let's just trust it. Let's just let people see what Paul is saying and trust the Bible. Other people were like, listen, if we show that, we're going to be doing therapy for years for some people. <laughs> Maybe not. right? So I'm not going to show it. But now you have a little bit of that image in your mind. Paul is saying, if you're not free, you spend your life eating other people. Now, why does he say that? Well, there, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways in which you and I can approach our life, and we've, we've talked about them. The religious way, which is, 
I live a life of good spiritual performance before God. Therefore, he accepts me and welcomes me into his family. That's one type of life. And one thing I've said repeatedly in the series, if that's how we approach God, if my approach to God is, listen, God, I, I prayed more than most people this week. I read more of the Bible this week. I did better moral works than most people this week. I, you should approve of me into your... And none of us would say that, but that's the spirit with which we operate. If I'm up here spiritually, then that puts a lot of other people down here. And what happens when we think that we're better than other people? It turns to pride, turns to envy, and turns to jealousy. And I, I read a quote, and I want to bring it back in, from Rich, Richard Lovelace, who says, this is the result of Christians who, thi- who think they're relating to God via their spiritual performance, what they do to other people. He writes, Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. They cling desperately to legal pharisaical righteousness, but envy, jealousy, and other branches on the tree of sin grow out of their fundamental insecurity. So many of us in this room have probably had a really bad experience with a self-righteous Christian or church at some point. And some of us, if we're honest enough, know we've given that experience to other people. That our own self-righteousness has ended in us speaking in harsh tones and condemnation of people because we think ourselves superior to them. And if you try to live your life through the law, you end up devouring other people. And Paul talks about this at length in this series, and it's why we want to relate to God via grace. So that when people walk in this room, they don't meet a bunch of people who are superior because... We live the right way. We vote the right way. We do the right things. We're better than those people out there. That's not the gospel. And it attracts no one to the way of Jesus. And yet, many churches, that's what's communicated to non-Christians when they walk in the door. We devour one another. And I'll, I'll just say, after two, three years of church and pandemic, I had other verses at the front end that I, I, I wanted to mark our time as a, as a church, as a broad church, not, not liberty, but just the American church in this moment, we actually probably need a verse 16. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's not the free life. But there's another way in which freedom actually leads to devouring one another. And that is, if, if our vision of life is what our culture says our vision of life should be, which is, I'm going to do what I want to do, what makes me happy, what fulfills my desire... Well, what do you have to do to anyone who gets in the way of that? Devour them. Because they're trying to restrict your freedom. And the only way that you can get your freedom back is to get them out of your way. And so this is the exercise every night for hours on cable news where we don't just disagree with one another over how to proceed and, and be a country together. No, it's you're in the way of my freedom, therefore I must devour you. Or it's what happens in, in addictions where someone whose addiction and desire has led them to ultimately destroy the people around them by lying or stealing because what they want is so important, the only way they can get it is to take from those who are nearest to them. And why at times people who love family members in addiction, the only thing they can do is cut off that relationship to prevent that devouring to hopefully 
get that person free of their addiction. Or the most shallow example that I've used before of myself is this is, this is a nightly ritual for me at bedtime. Every night I put my kids to bed and then I have a little bit of freedom before I fall asleep. Last night it was 10 minutes. Kids were in bed. I was asleep before my own children last night. And, and, but what happens at bedtime is, of course, they are, they're getting their third drink of water. They've got to find another book to read. They've got to like, go into the backyard for some reason. Like, just get in your room and just stay in there. And that's where I start to, to devour my own children because I just want to be free of the demands for an hour. If you think your good life is getting what you want, anyone who gets in the way of that will be devoured by your anger and your pride and your jealousy. The free life is not a life of devouring one another. It's actually the exact opposite of that. And here's where Paul drops in a verse that, that we all probably, we probably don't, I probably don't need to preach. I will preach for the rest of you know, my time here. But I probably don't ever need to preach again because this one verse will give us enough to meditate on for the rest of our lives. Verse 14. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The free life is a life of service. Paul says our freedom is to be used to love our neighbor as ourselves. You've been set free from sin, death, hell, all of it. To properly love your neighbor. I've been thinking about that, um, honestly, over the last several years, but especially in the last, the last few weeks, knowing this text was coming and, and just how to apply it into my own life. And this actually came out, not at, my, um, not at my leading in our preaching team meeting, but it came out from someone else. And they, they just raised the question, you know, we have a lot of caregivers in our congregation, people who invest a lot of their time and energy in, in caring for another human being who's very vulnerable, who can't care for themselves. And it's, it's exhausting. So if you get up and preach, hey, freedom is serving another person, is loving your neighbor as yourself. How will they hear that message? It sounds crushing. And, and first, I mean, my own future is, is one who will spend a great deal of my life as a caretaker for one of our children who has special needs. So I don't think about this question in a distant way. I think about my own life. Is this true for my own life? And so as I've thought about it, I just have a few thoughts for, for all of us to whether or not we can actually agree with Paul that, yes, the free life is using my freedom to love my neighbor as myself. First thing I want to say is, is the freedom to do what we desire is not exclusively bad. Wrigley Field is good. And you should want to go there. French fries are good, and you should want them in moderation. There are good things to desire in this world. God placed this, this earth full of beauty and wonder that we should desire. And in fact, in many ways, that's what I think makes caretaking so difficult, is we see people who don't get to live in to the freedom and the beauty of this creation. They have needs and, and, and things that have to be fulfilled that they will not have in the new heavens and new earth. So caretaking is a reminder of our broken world. And that's why I think 
one of the things that has been of great hope to me is when Jesus wanted to justify and prove himself as Messiah, he said something. He didn't like do a magic trick for everyone and be like, watch this, I'm Messiah. No, he said something. He said it to John the Baptist in his doubt. He said it in his first sermon in Luke 4. He said, the way you know I'm the Messiah is the poor have good, good news preached to them. And to John the Baptist, he said, those who can't walk can now walk. Those who can't see can now see. Those who couldn't hear can now hear. That's how you know my kingdom is breaking in. And so in one sense, that is free, right? To be, the, to be free of the, the broken world and its constraints upon us. But two, and I've been thinking about this for years, my vision of what a free life is needs confrontation. If I resonate more with a Diet Coke commercial than the words of Jesus, something is wrong with me. And I think of Jesus who in his ministry said, I came not to serve, or not to be, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then he looks at his disciples and he doesn't just say, that's just me. You guys go do what you want. Live it up. You do you. He didn't say that. He says, no, and now your leadership is to be marked by the same life and vision that I've given to you. Life is not about being served. It is about giving your life away to others. And I know, if you're a Christian, we all worship Jesus as God. I'm not putting any of that in question right now. But I do want to ask, do we think he's right about that? And I want, to, I want an easy answer. We all know, I know it's yes, but I mean, like truly, do I look and say, yes, Jesus, your vision of the good life. That service is more crucial than reception. That giving is better than receiving. Is he actually right? Is that the, is that the free life? My vision of the free life needs confrontation. And then third and finally, if Christians actually embodied Galatians 5, caretakers would be set free. If every person in this church believes the good life is serving and denying myself to love my neighbor, how much would that love and free people who spend most of their lives caring for another human? And I want to start I want to start by praising liberty because there are a lot of people who do that in powerfully beautiful ways. It's one of the things that attracted my family here. There are multiple people in our church who have given season of their lives to live in a home with orphans. That was their job their entire life was caring for orphans. There are people in our church who are faithful volunteers who right now are in a room Serving kids with special needs so their parents can attend a church and feel safe about who they've dropped their children off with. There were a group of people in our church who came alongside a special needs family who needed physical help in caring for one of their family members. And they set up a schedule so that the caretaker wasn't alone and had help in the evening to put their child to bed. And right now, we have people at Johnny and Friends serving as short-term missionaries. We'll have more uh, in the next couple of weeks as well, giving a week of their summer to serve special needs families. And here's the thing. You go to Johnny and Friends, or you experience some of this, and you see how much more profound that life is than a life of, I get what I want. And so may we be a church that, that embodies 
the truth of these verses, not just, hey, we love the Bible, but when we like read these verses, we see it at liberty. I see it at liberty. Do you see it among those around you? Now, if you hear all of this and you're like, man, this feels like a lot. And when I think of freedom, I think of the 4th of July where I light stuff on fire and I eat grilled meats. I just, I just want to say, on the 4th of July, I will be lighting stuff on fire and I will be eating grilled meats. It's not an either or. Um, and yet, if you're burdened, if you just feel overwhelmed, let me leave you, let me leave you with this. In verse 14, Paul says um, that the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And man, I had a whole sermon on this verse, and I hate that I have to leave it behind, but all I can say, all I have time to say about this verse is, it's interesting that, that Paul says, does not say, you can do the whole law if you just love your neighbor as yourself. Because the whole book point of Galatians is, you cannot do the whole law. And yet it seems to say, like Paul is saying, listen, even though you can't do the whole law, you can do this, love your neighbor as yourself, so therefore do this, and try really hard to love your neighbor as yourself. That's not what he's saying. The word fulfilled for Paul is a loaded word. And any time in the New Testament we hear about the law being fulfilled, it's almost always a reference to a person. So let's go back to the the question we started with. If you were free to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? See, the trouble for us is that's, that's an irrelevant hypothetical because none of us are totally free to do what we want. We are all incredibly limited. We're limited in resources. We're limited in how much money we have to do what we want to do. We're limited in physical energy. We're limited that we're broken sinners and it's hard to, to do and be who we want to totally be. We are limited in so many ways. So when I say, if you were free to do whatever you want, what would you do? It's, we just not, it's just not possible. And yet, there is one person who was totally free to do whatever he wanted to do. He had no limits. He had endless money available to him, endless resources available to him, endless power available to him. At one point, he said, hey, if I wanted to get my work done, I could call a bunch of angels. They'd take you out, and we'd get done what we need to get. He had no limitations, and how did he use his freedom? Not as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, he served us. He traded in the riches of heaven to live in poverty in a backwaters part of the world in obscurity for most of his life. He traded the power of heaven where he could do whatever he wanted to do to enter into the weakness of an earthly life being conditioned by his own human frailty. And he traded in the glory of heaven to come down and deal with a bunch of religious people that were exhausting and didn't care about what he said to do. And ultimately, he let them kill him and put him on a cross. I mean, I'm, when I started this sermon with, what would you do with your freedom? I'm guessing none of you like, man, I hope I'd end up executed to love other people. Like, none of us thought that. And yet, that is what the Son of God, who had total freedom to do whatever he wants, chose to do for you and me. To fulfill the law. To love his neighbor, you and me, as himself. And when you see Jesus loving you like this, coming down from heaven, embracing poverty and suffering and a cross, to love you as his neighbor. It will free you. 
to be a servant and to go love whoever God puts in front of you as your own neighbor. Let us pray. Father, the, the reality of the words that we, I just spoke, that we heard together, just cannot, human words do not do justice to what Jesus Christ has been and is. So I just, we open this space up for your spirit to do that work in our own hearts. For those of us who are Christians, the spirit would point us to the cross of Jesus so that we could cry out, Abba, Father. And for those of us who are not yet Christians, God, you would open our hearts to see the beauty at the center of this world, which is not unlimited, unrestricted freedom for ourselves, but the Son of God restricting himself to save us. So Spirit, go to work on us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.